Well, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, says this. Above all else, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. I love that imagery there because just in the same way our physical heart is pumping blood and the fluids in our body through our body to give us life and and help us to have strength to live and to function, so our spiritual heart uh, is the wellspring, it's the pump through which, you know, life flows and we need to receive that life from Christ's Holy Spirit. So if we're going to stay healthy as a church, we need to continually be reminded to guard our hearts from Satan's attacks and from the influences that are in this world that are not of God. And the Bible warns that there will be a great apostasy in the time preceding the return of Jesus Christ. And that great apostasy is referenced and mentioned in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Now, the King James Version, when it translates the Greek word that's in the original text into English, it translates it as falling away. The English Standard Version and the New International Version translate that Greek word into English as the rebellion. And actually, that's exactly what apostasy is. It's both a rebellion against God and an abandonment of the truth and the word of God. And it's going to include a general rejection of God's revelation to us and a further falling away of an already broken world. And unfortunately, it will include some who claim to be believers and followers of Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul writes a lot about this in the New Testament. This is what I love about the scriptures. Doesn't sugarcoat things, doesn't try to give some false narrative that uh, everybody that comes to Jesus is always going to follow him and always going to do well. It tells us the truth of the struggle. And even those of us who claim to be followers of Christ, how we face opposition, it's not easy. And so I hope this adds to the validity in your mind of the truth of the scriptures. So the Apostle Paul here in Romans chapter one, it's an amazing letter that he writes to the church in Rome at that time and all the things that they were dealing with. And really, nothing has changed as far as culturally, all these same principles exist in the world. So he starts it out and I'm gonna read a section of Romans chapter one. If you wanna go ahead and open your scriptures, the references on the screen there, Romans chapter one, beginning of verse 18 through verse 32. And it sets up everything else Paul is writing in his letter to Romans. Now, we're not going to go over all that today, but maybe just in reading this, it'll pique your interest and it'll make you want to read the entire letter to the church in Rome there. But the Apostle Paul is talking about this apostasy, this falling away from God, and he's warning all of us to be on guard against it. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, before you hear the rest of this or follow along with me, I just want you to understand that God is an equal opportunity offender. (laughs) 
So what you're about to hear and what we're about to read is going to offend all of us in one way or another. It's going to touch all of us. And if it doesn't, I'm going to point out a particular thing in here that uh, you should be aware of. But the first thing is, there's a tendency for us who maybe go to church or follow the Lord to think, well, wicked, wicked people, well, that's everybody else, it's not me. And we think of wickedness as someone who murders people and does all these terrible things. They're wicked. But really, the definition of wickedness, according to God, is anyone who is rejecting him, apathetic toward him, not wanting to follow him, we're wicked. Um, and we're beginning to follow down an evil path which is opposed to the goodness of God. So just open your ears a little bit. Don't tune this out. I'm just the messenger, uh, but I'm proclaiming the message. So this all starts when the truth of God is suppressed, and it actually started in the very beginning with Adam and Eve when God just gave one rule. There wasn't a whole bunch, there was just one rule. See that tree over there? Don't eat of it. Everything else, eat it, have fun, enjoy life, be fruitful, multiply, you know, have a party, whatever, you know, take care of things. I put you large and in charge. Just don't do that one thing. And Satan comes along and he says, oh, God doesn't love you. He's wanting to withhold that from you. <laughs> Just how he works. And so Satan from the very beginning begins to suppress the truth of God, to deceive, to get us to think that somehow God doesn't love us or he's out to get us. And so therefore that's why he's withholding this thing over here that he tells us not to do. And that's the story of humanity. It's us constantly wanting to do things that God says we ought not to do or not doing things that God tells us that he wants us to do. And we're all guilty of it. So I just want to blanket this before we read on to know that this is going to affect every single person listening to this. So let's move on now. In verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So right here the scripture tells us that if you have just even an inkling of common sense and you're not narrow-minded, if you're open-minded, and you look at the universe and the grandeur of it, and you look at the earth, and you look at our bodies, and you look at everything in nature, God has made it plain in his general revelation that he exists. Because there's something, if you just are halfway open-minded, again, not closed-minded to say there can't be a God, and so we're going to explain how we got here without God, because there can't be a God. I'm open-minded. That's being narrow-minded. If you're open-minded to say, you know what, I'm not sure whether there's a God or not, but I'm going to look around at some clues and maybe God will help me figure it out if he exists, and he does. And this is what the scripture says. If you've got an inkling of common sense and you look at the in intricacies of all of how everything works and the design and the order, you are just being nothing but rebellious and suppressing the truth if you try to say this all happened by chance. And the more scientists are learning, the more they are discovering that some of their theories in the past that they thought were correct are not actually correct. The problem is they've set themselves up by going with what used to be a theory and was touted and has been touted in our colleges and schools now for generations, for over 100 years about evolution. 
And they've so locked themselves in and boxed themselves in by saying, oh, this is how it happened because, you know, we're intelligent people and we've studied all of this, that they're ignoring the clues now that science is opening up that's questioning the very theory that they've proclaimed as truth. And I know this upsets a lot of people in not not theological circles, but in, in the areas of science and everything. But again, if you just have an open mind and not be so arrogant to think we know everything that we can possibly know, we're still learning. Recently in the news, there was a mathematician from the Yale University who, as he has looked at all of the more we're learning about the human DNA, the human genome, and DNA mapping, not only for human beings, but for animals, and looking at the intricacies of how that DNA forms and how everything is fashioned, he said mathematically it's just absolutely impossible to believe that this all happened by chance. Now, this guy's not a Christian. He, he, he's, he doesn't even claim to believe in a certain God. He's just acknowledging that the more we're learning and understanding, it's like, hmm, you know, our thoughts about this, we got to rethink this thing. We, it looks like there was some kind of an intelligent mind behind all of this. Now, that's all the further he is right now. But again, he's on a journey. Jesus said, you know, if you seek the truth, you'll find it. And so again, if we're open-minded... There's many scientists today that that used to buy into the theory of evolution, and as they continue to make new discoveries, they're realizing there are some things now that are undermining the theory of evolution, but they've so bought into that form of thinking, it's literally become a form of religion. It's, It's become a basis of belief, and so they're having a hard time now admitting, oh, we might have been wrong. You say, well, Mark, as Christians, that's what you all do too, because you know, you all just think you know it all. No, we don't. In fact, that's what this message is all about. It's talking about the fact that even people that claim to be believers of Christ can lose their faith and walk away, and the scripture deals with it. The scripture tells us the truth of all of these things. Okay, so now again, with that in mind, let's keep going on, because again, this affects all of us, and it's nothing new. The Apostle Paul dealt with it centuries ago because it's the truth of God, and God wanted to speak to every generation about this. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. So we got to really guard against pride and arrogance and thinking we know it all, because we don't. And then it goes on in verse 21, and he says, And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, obviously, he was talking here about idol worship, those who fashioned some kind of idol, an image, and then they worshiped it, bowed down to it, and thought it represented the God that did create them or that had these different interactions in their life. And in fact, God's own people, the nation of Israel, when they were enslaved in Egypt for several years, Egypt had many different gods that they worshipped. In fact, the ten plagues that came on the nation of Israel, each one was a judgment from God about those particular gods that they worshipped in Egypt. That's a whole other story and lesson for another day. But so as God answered their prayers and they came out of Egypt, Moses guided them. God worked through Moses and all of the nation of Israel is coming out. Now God says, I'm going to set up um, some, some guidelines, some, some laws for you to follow as my people, as a healthy society. 
And so he called Moses to come up on a mountain and to receive those laws. And while Moses was up on the mountain, before they had even gotten into the promised land, what did God's people do? Man, Moses has been going a long time. Maybe something happened to him. Maybe he died. Well, I wonder who this God was that brought us out of Egypt. And so they reverted back to what they were familiar with in their culture in Egypt, and they began to fashion a calf, and they began to worship that. They formed an idol based on the culture that they had just come out of because they had a desire to worship. And you see, this is something that God has put within every single person that's born. There is a desire within all of us to worship or value something. God, of course, wants us to worship and value him because he's the one that created us and he wants to be in a relationship with us, but he allows us to make that choice. He does not force himself on us, though he could. But we choose then to worship things made with men's hands, whether it's we try to fill in the blanks of everything we don't understand about God, so we make up our own God and we do idol worship and all these religions that are in the world today, or we worship ourselves, or we worship the things made with man's hands. There's, many, there's much idol worship going on in our culture today. Uh, it's things made with men's hands. We drive them. Um, we watch them. We have them in our pockets. We have them up here on the podium. Now, those are just neutral things, but before long, if we're not careful, we can begin to worship them because we're valuing them and what they give us more than what we value God. So it goes on, therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity and the degrading of their bodies with one another. So this is the next step. We're all sexual beings, every single one of us. How we figure out and learn to walk in that sexuality and how we keep it in check and how we conduct it in a way that God actually designed it to function is another thing. I'm gonna sound real old-fashioned and real old-school and really boring, but here's the truth. God created sexuality as a means to reproduce the human race. That's what he created it for. When he created Adam and Eve, he said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. My will for you is I want to see the human race expand and love me and I want to love you. I do love you and I want to be in relationship with you. But Satan comes along and he says, so that's not enough. Sexuality is not about having kids. Come on, get with the program, people. Sex is fun. Oh, it's sensual. Oh, it feels good. Oh, and so if, if it's not okay to do it with your wife or someone that God wants you to be committed with in marriage for life for procreation and family raising and all those wonderful things of a healthy society, oh, it's so much more than that, Satan says. It's all about feelings. It's about what you can get out of it and what the other person can get out of it. So it doesn't matter who you have sex with, what you have sex with, just go for it. And that is a perversion of the truth of God. Oh, that offends so many people, but in your heart, examine your heart and see if God somewhere down in there in that still small voice isn't saying, you know, I think, I think that's right. But we live in a society that has so suppressed the truth of God, anything goes. 
And so God nails it right on the thing. The very first thing he says is he starts just giving people over to sexual impurity. And that's all of us, folks. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to define one class of people. It's all of us as humanity. Because, you know, actually God created one race. It's the human race. And it doesn't matter what the color of your skin or where you grew up or what your background is or your social class. God loves you. And honestly, you may not believe it, but I love you, and I can't explain it. It's just something God put in my heart. So when I say these things, I'm, it's not hate speech. Some people will take it as hate speech. That's fine. You can take it however you want. It's not how I intend it. I'm simply trying to speak the truth of God, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. You need to decide whether you're going to believe what God says or not, because all these words are not Mark Eaton's words. I'm reading from the Scripture. Read it for yourself. That's my challenge to you. I read it. I had to decide whether I believed it to be true or not. And that's a choice each of you need to make. And I'm not here to force it on anyone. I'm just here to proclaim it. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to sinful Lust. He's like, you know what? <laughs> I've done all this stuff for you all. I've shown you the truth. I died on the cross for you. I rose again. I've done everything possible to show you all who I am and the truth of the way things really are. But you know what? If you're going to reject it, okay. Enjoy it. Just go on the path you're on and see where it leads you. And this is part of the wrath of God. We don't understand what the wrath... Everybody under, thinks that wrath of God is God being angry and mean and oh, he just wants to make us miserable and punish us. Sometimes the wrath of God is saying, you know what, I'm just going to give you what you want and then you can see the consequences of where that takes you. Now God also offers us mercy and grace because he loves us. So we see God both in his wrath, but we also see him in his, his judgment and justice, but we also see him in his mercy and grace. I just heard it this week, and I think it's a really good definition. Mercy is not getting the punishment that you deserve. And God is merciful. He offers a way out through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God is absolutely merciful, but he couldn't be merciful if he wasn't also a God of judgment and justice. So there are consequences to our sin. God paid the penalty for that so that we could be forgiven. So he's merciful. He has a way where we will not be punished for our sins. Mercy is not being punished for something you deserve. Grace, which is another characteristic of God, grace gives you something good that you don't deserve. It's so cool. So grace is God saying, you know what? You really don't deserve this, but I love you, and I'm going to give this to you. It's out of my grace. So God is a God of holiness, righteousness, judgment, justice, all of those things, but he's also a God of love and mercy and grace. And we need to see the totality of God and understand it. So now I'm going to move on. There's this continual downward spiral socially, and, and uh, I'll just move on. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even the women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Remember, I said sex was created for procreation, that the human race would continue on, and we're seeing a total rejection of that. 
Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do not do what they ought to do or they, uh, they do what they ought not to do. So again, God in his love says, you know what? You keep one ahead in this direction. Okay, just I'll, I'll let you see where that takes you. I don't know about you, but there are times when I, I listen to people's thinking and their reasoning and the things that they do, and it's like, how in the world could you think that? So I'm going to take one that most of us feel comfortable with, and that would be someone that does mass murdering, a terrorist, someone that would end their own life and take a bunch of other people out with them. I mean, all of us, if we're open-minded and halfway reasonable, you would say, what in the world would make you do that? What were you thinking? How many of you have ever, what were you thinking? We've all done stuff like that where we ask ourselves that question. And the answer is, it's evidence of the truth of God. He has given people over to a depraved mind to where they just absolutely do not think of the ways of God truly, and it causes harm to so many people. Now it goes on. I know this is depressing, but there's good news coming. <laughs> Verse 29, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. This is not talking about one people group. I want to make it clear. This is just talking about humanity so you can pick and choose. This is going to fit all of us in some way. So again, this is not the same people group that all this is happening to. This is humanity when we suppress the truth and we reject God. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips. Oh, I've got to take a minute. Social media. <laughs> Be careful what you post. Social media is, a, is a, a neutral platform, but how you use it can be used for good or evil. And there's a lot of gossip. Oh, and slandering. Ooh, yeah, gossips and slanders. That's the next one mentioned. A lot of that happens on social media. Before there was ever the social media, James talked about what God gives every single one of us as a person, and that's our tongue and our mouth. He said, you need to watch what you say. You need to watch your tongue. It's a little small thing, but it can cause a world of hurt for people and a world of damage. So let God get control of your tongue. God-haters, insolent, arrogant, make a note right there, just mental note, and I'll come back to it. Arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, that means loyalty, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Every culture has three things that they need to decide about. Things that they're going as a culture to prohibit, things as a culture they're going to permit, and things as a culture they're going to promote. And in our culture today, we've seen such a change that things that used to be prohibited are not only permitted, but now they're promoted. Things that God's word says is not right, is not godly, our culture has not only just permitted it, but now we promote it and we celebrate it. And in fact, if you don't celebrate and, and promote it with them, 
you are scorned and rejected. We're literally living in a time that Isaiah and the prophets prophesied about, a time when people would call good evil and evil good. Again, this is a sign of depravity of thinking because the truth of God has been so suppressed among a people. Now, if you're sitting here and you've listened to all that and you're like, preach it, Mark. I'm so glad you're getting on all those people and I'm so thankful I'm not like that. Remember I said that word arrogant? (laughs) Take note of that. (laughs) Guess what? Yeah, you're guilty. So don't anybody think that you're better than anybody else with all this stuff. We're all in this together and it's why we all need a savior. And it's why we all need to guard our heart. Jesus warned his disciples concerning the final days. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 10 through 12, it says this. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. This is Jesus talking about people who would be following him or people in the world who should be following him. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. We've, all, we've seen that. I've seen it in my lifetime. A lot of cults, a lot of people that claim to be Messiah. They've led people astray. We've heard about it in the news over these past few decades. And if you haven't heard, just do a little research and you'll find it. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because the increase of wickedness, remember wickedness isn't like the worst you can be, it's just heading down that wicked path of rejecting and suppressing the truth of God. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. That word that Jesus said that's translated as falling away, uh, the Greek word there is skandalizo. I don't even know if I pronounced it exactly right, but the point is it means there's going to be a large number of people that will be offended. That's, an, that's one of the meanings of the word. And, and we live in a time when a lot of people are offended at the teaching of Christ. And Jesus said that's the way it's going to be. Uh, I'm, I'm teaching the truth, and people who reject the truth, they're going to be offended. Uh, it also means uh, to entice to sin. So Jesus warned, before I return to earth, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be enticed to sin. And another word or another definition of this word that Jesus spoke that's translated from the Greek into the English, I'm just going to read it to you. It says, to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. Wow. That pretty much gets it right on the nose. And we're living in a time where there are people recently in the news, I'm going to refer to a couple of them, not to beat them up, just as an example of the truth of the scripture, who used to walk with Jesus and proclaimed him in different ways, and now they've, they've begun to distrust and to turn away from the one that they ought to trust and obey. So how do we stay healthy spiritually as individuals and as a church as we move closer to the time of Christ's return. And I've been saying it this morning, and it's what I hope will stay in your mind when you walk out these doors. Guard your heart. Guard your heart with the truth of God's word. Psalm 119.11 says this, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. The King James Version translates it, Your word I've hidden in my heart. And that's, a, that's also a good translation. The only problem is in our culture, if we hide something, we're trying to keep it secret, right? You don't want anybody to find it. But that, and that's not what God is intending. You don't hide God's word in your heart to live it out secretly and be, be a secret agent for Jesus and nobody knows. 
is saying, I'm treasuring your word. I value your word so greatly that I'm putting it in my heart because I'm guarding my heart and I want to make sure it's full of your treasure, your truth, so that it, it flows. Remember, the heart is the wellspring of life. So everything spiritually that's happening in me and pumping through my spiritual life is flowing through your word and by your word to give me direction and to know how to live. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. What are you treasuring in your heart? Every day, what are you putting in your heart? What's your entertainment? What's the things that you're doing? Because every day, you're putting things in your mind and your heart. Give God a chance. Open your mind and your heart to the word of God. Guard your heart with the truth of God's word. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So here again, wake up call, challenge time. It's easy to say you believe in Jesus, and it's easy to claim to be a follower of Jesus. It's easy to say that and claim it, but here's what I'm asking you. Are you really? Because if you really believe what Jesus said, then you believe what he, when he said, I am the truth. I spoke on this last week. A lot of people question truth. What is truth? And again, those who say there's no such thing as absolute truth. I addressed this last week. If anybody says there's no such thing as absolute truth, or in other words, whatever's true for you may be true for you, but it's not true for me. So truth is subjective, and there's no such thing as absolute truth. When they say that, they've just actually made a fool of themselves because they just made an absolute statement. They just said, absolutely, there's no such thing as absolute truth. So they've contradicted themselves. The truth is there are absolutes and there is absolute truth. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to believe what he says when he says, I am the truth. Everybody's looking for the truth. And Jesus says, here I am. I showed up in this world. I walked among you. I gave my life on the cross, sinless life for sinful people to show my love for you. I conquered death, rose again, ascended back up into heaven, told you I wouldn't leave you alone, said if you'd open your heart to me, my Holy Spirit will come into your life. I'll make a difference in your life. I'll change your life. That's why at Porterfield, we say we're about loving people first. Wherever you're at, we love you. But we love you enough to not just leave you where you're at. We want to lead you to Jesus because Jesus is the life changer. I'm not a life changer. Jesus is. So I'm going to point you to Jesus and his word. And that's what I'm trying to do today. And that's the job of all of us as a follower of Christ. I've heard it said before, we're just a bunch of beggars showing people where to find bread because we found the bread of life and we need him. And we just want other people to be fed there too. So we don't force anybody to come to Jesus, but we're sharing the good news. And then if you really believe what Jesus said, then look at what Jesus prayed for us as his followers. He said, sanctify them by the truth. Or in other words, set them apart from the world. Because the world's going to tell you there's no such thing as absolute truth. And the world's going to tell you what's true for you is, is not true for me and blah, 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 blah. And Jesus says, God, your truth, I'm truth, set them apart from the world, help them to know that they are of the truth because we are true. And then look specifically at what, Je if you have any doubt that the word of God has authority, then look at what Jesus said. What did he define as truth? Your what? Your word is truth. Your word is truth. So here's the challenge for us, church. You either believe Jesus or you don't. 
So stop playing the game. Stop talking out of both sides of your mouth and saying, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus and I follow him and hey, I'm saved and it's all good. But man, I, I don't know. I, I, I hear about this stuff in culture and I think maybe that's right. You're waffling. So you either believe what Jesus said or you don't. The early church valued the truth of Jesus. In fact, it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the early church guarded their heart with truthful teaching. Go ahead and, uh, well, I'm, I'm getting to this. Anyway, in Acts 2.42, it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the teaching of the truth, and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. The apostle Paul instructed Timothy to guard his heart. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, he says this, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Because there's going to be a lot of philosophies in the world that's going to oppose this, a lot of ways of thinking, so you need to guard your heart. Keep a close watch on this teaching. Persist in this. There's a lot of people that aren't persisting. They're listening to other voices, and God says, stop it. Persist in what is true. Persist in this. For by, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Save from what? Say, to save yourself and others from falling away. Jesus has done the saving. We don't save ourselves. We don't save other people. Jesus does that. What this is talking about is we'll save people from falling away. And we'll save ourselves from falling away and becoming victim because we're guarding our heart with the truth of God's word. And that's why, again, as a church, we must continually teach and preach the unwavering word of God in the face of a culture that just is so counter to all that right now. You feel like you're swimming upstream. But we have to be true to Christ. The Apostle Paul also warned Timothy to guard our hearts from worldly influence. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, the Holy Spirit, S with a, a, a spirit with a capital S, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith. There it is, they're going to walk away. So don't be surprised when you hear of it or you see it. Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. There are many people in the world who do not even realize it, but they are under the influence of Satan. Now, they're not Satan worshipers, not at all. I'm not saying all that, but I'm saying as they get inundated with the deceitfulness of Satan and the things that he does in the culture and in our lives to tempt us and to draw us away from Christ, and we begin to follow that without realizing it, we're beginning to follow actually demonic spirits or deceiving spirits. And the Holy Spirit warns us of this. So there's going to be some who will abandon the faith because they haven't guarded their heart and they haven't stayed true to the word of God or, or filling their mind and their heart with the word of God. And so they're influenced by these deceiving spirits or demonic spirits. In Jude, which is a very short writing in the New Testament, so short that it's just one chapter and it's verses. So in Jude verse 4, it says this, For certain individuals whose condemnation were, was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you, they're ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ as the only Savior and Lord. There are people in the church today that claim to be a church of Jesus, and yet they say there's other ways to get into heaven. So we're just going to celebrate it all, and it's all good. And by so doing, they're actually rejecting what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the only way 
to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's pretty exclusive. There's one way to get there, and it's through Jesus. But here's the inclusiveness. Jesus said, whosoever will may come. Whoever believes. I love everybody, but I'm the door. And you're not getting in unless you go through me, because I'm the one that died for you, rose again, conquered death. No other religious leader, no other world leader's done that. I have. Because I'm your creator. I'm God in the flesh. I've come among you to show you the truth. So there are those who play church, and yet they, they, they deny that because they're afraid of offending people. They're afraid of hurting somebody of another religion or whatever, and they cave to it, and then the truth is suppressed. You know, a lot of times truth can be suppressed just by trying to not hurt people's feelings. And that's why Jesus said, my word at times is going to offend people, but be that as it may, I am who I am. In verses 17 through 19 in Jude, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul warns the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion for Christ. I've gotten to a point in my life now for health reasons, I drink a lot of water. And I really like to drink pure water. I mean, you know, it just tastes so good when it's cold and pure and clear. You know, it's been purified whether through a filter or spring water or whatever. And it's actually improved my health somewhat because of doing that. Anyway, we all get it about things that are pure. Some people cook with pure olive oil. It's, it's got nothing else in it, no contaminants, nothing but the pure thing. And here's what happens in the church, and that's why this verse is so pertinent to all of us. We can begin, if we don't guard our hearts to stay pure in our devotion to Christ, we can begin to let the contaminants of the world come into that devotion. And now we're not purely devoted to Christ, but we're devoted to Christ, and we're also devoted to this. And we're devoted to Christ, but we're also devoted to this. And before long, the purity of our devotion to Christ has become so contaminated that it's no longer really effective. And so we need to guard our hearts and stay with pure devotion to Christ. Jesus said that, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So if you truly know Jesus, you're going to follow him even in the midst of opposition. But if you start leaving that pure devotion to Christ, just like a sheep might do, grazing, grazing, wandering off from the rest of the flock because they're focused on what's in front of them and eating and getting what they need. And before long, that sheep has maybe strayed so far that it can no longer hear the voice of its master. And there's a lot of people, I think, today who maybe they've walked away from their faith and walked away from the church because somewhere along the line, they started listening to all of the worldly culture and their faith got contaminated and their devotion to Christ got contaminated to where they no longer heard his voice. Christ didn't go anywhere. They did. When you, not, when you don't hear the voice of God, it's not because he went anywhere. Sometimes we have just strayed. That's why the scripture says in Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But 
God laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. So just in, in closing here and to kind of wrap it up, a couple of modern day things. Many of you maybe have heard about this, but there's two high profile Christian leaders that recently went online. Again, it's not enough that they just wanted to you know, walk away, but they wanted to make it public and get attention for themselves. So they got online and they proclaimed this. So Joshua Harris, I'm not beating these people up. I wanna make it clear. It's easy when people are down or doing something that everybody jumps on the bandwagon and you know, accuses them of blah, blah, blah. That's not what this is about. This is an illustration of the scriptures that we read and how relevant it is to our current times. So Joshua Harris, he served as a lead pastor at a large megachurch in Maryland from 2004 to 2015. So um, nine years, he served as a pastor of a church and what got him famous was he wrote a book uh, called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and that was when he was real young. He was 21 years old. But the point is, he has now renounced his earlier teachings on purity, saying that they contributed to a culture of exclusion and bigotry. Hmm. Wonder where he was influenced. I'm not going to, you can research all the stuff that he said, but here's something that's notable. About a month or so ago, he revealed in an Instagram post that he has left Christianity altogether. So this is his quote. I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. By all measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. So there's going to be a time when people just walk away from the faith. Mark, I'm surprised you're up there. What if what, if what you're saying from the pulpit discourages other people and they walk away? Well, I'm just telling you the truth. Marty Sampson wrote music for Australia's Hillsong Ministry, many songs that people have sung in the church. Recently posted doubts about Christian faith and issues such as hell and suffering. Oh my goodness, isn't that a new concept that people down through generations have, have not struggled with? I'm being sarcastic. That's something that's been around from the earliest of times and humanity does struggle with that and we don't fully understand it. But the fact is it's either God or it's not. It's either true or it's not. You just need to decide. Even though you can't figure it out and don't understand it all, it doesn't negate the love of God, the mercy of God, because here's the truth of God. Yes, there is a hell and yes, people do go there, but God has done everything to keep you out of there. So why not focus on that truth and the love of God and what he's done and say thank you God and commit your life to devoting to him rather than saying why in the world would a loving God send anybody to hell? Well, I would say, well, why would a judgmental God send anybody to heaven? You know, you can just go back and forth with those arguments all that you want. It goes down to a level of trust. So they posted, I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. Pray for these people. I would say that they're on the verge of that, going down that depraved mind thinking. And the last one, a man named Jim Palmer, he's a pastor. He began to question his faith in Christ. And eventually he decided after he rejected that, he founded a Nashville chapter of the American Humanist Association. This organization promotes humanism, a perspective that uses science and reason to explain the world and dignity and compassion as the basis for how to treat other humans. Well, how in the world are you gonna take humans who murder each other and do all these terrible things, somehow that we're gonna figure it out on our own and we're gonna get it all turned around. But that's his viewpoint now, because he's rejected God, rejected Christ. And this was one of the things that he wrote, I quote, 
I'm still going to plant my flag down on the belief that we are who we have been waiting for. There is no God in the sky who is going to rescue us. End quote. Guard your heart. You either believe it or you don't. Stop playing games. Jesus said this in John chapter 12, verse 46. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for one who rejects me and does not accept my words, the very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. You say, Mark, Jesus was contradicting himself. He says he came to save the world, he didn't come to condemn, but then he turns around and says that his words are gonna be the things that actually condemn people. Okay, just stop and think about what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the truth, right? Teaching you how to be a little bit of a critical thinker now. Jesus said, I am the truth. So either that's true or it's not. If he is the truth and his words are true, then he came to save us from our sin, die on the cross, rise again, so that through faith in him, we could be forgiven and not go to hell and we could have an eternity with him in heaven. That is the truth. And that's why he came. He came to save us, not condemn us. But as he speaks the truth, if we reject the truth, now it's not Christ who's rejecting us. We have rejected him and his word. And so therefore the truth that he speaks is what's gonna judge us because there is absolute truth. And Jesus is the truth. Jesus says, I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me uh, commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. The question is, do you believe it? Now we're gonna get a fast forward to those who reject the words that Jesus spoke and we're gonna see their fate. It's in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. The apostle John was given this revelation. Then I saw a great white throne judgment and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Just think about that. Now, then he says this, books were opened, and then another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. I've never read this in a commentary. I've never heard anybody else teach on it. I'm telling you this is my thought on this. You can decide whether it's from God or not. I'm not sure, but I, I I do believe, based on everything I've read in the scriptures, this is what I think that those books are. Those books that are going to be opened are actually the books of the New Testament, the gospel message, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where for all time in history, God's words recorded, this is what I did, this is the historical record, this is a document that's been written for you as human beings. I've watched over it, I've performed it, I've kept it as a witness to you, it is the truth. Remember what Jesus said, I'm the truth, and he said, God, your word is true. So now these books that are opened are the truth of the teachings of Christ and everything about him and people are gonna be judged out of those words. Jesus said, I'm not gonna condemn them. The words that I speak will condemn them because they've rejected the truth. My words are truth. And then it goes on and it says, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, death and hell, or Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. 
Now, again, this is a judgment dealing with those that have rejected the truth because those that have accepted the truth, they're not at this judgment seat. They're saved. They're, they're safe. That's a different kind of a judgment, another sermon for another day. But this is a judgment concerning all those that have rejected the truth of Christ. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. In other words, that's what happens beyond this life. When you die this physical death, if you're in the lake of fire, there's, there's no coming back from that. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is evidence of the words of Jesus saying, I came to save you all from that lake of fire. But if, you're, if you reject that, you're not rejecting me, you're rejecting the words that I spoke, which is the truth, and you're on your own. So we need to guard our heart. I'm gonna wrap it up with this. Go ahead and go to that last slide, uh, the very last one. It's John chapter six, verse, verse 66. Because this is what it all comes down to, this whole message about guarding our heart. I've been real honest with you about what the scripture says very clearly that God's not into playing games and it's going to show those that are playing games and those that really mean it. And so we see again evidence of people who walked with Jesus, saw him do miracles, and yet some of his teachings bothered them so much and they became offended by them and didn't understand them. And because of their questioning, they walked away from Jesus. They literally said, Jesus, this teaching is too hard and we don't understand it. And so they walked away. And, and this is a record of it in John chapter 6, verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples, we're not talking about people in the world, we're talking about people that walked with Jesus, saw him, served him, all that. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And then Jesus looked at the 12, those that he had invested the most time in, and he just asked him a simple question. You don't want to leave me too, do you? Or another way I like to say it, do you want to leave me too? And right now, in this culture, when people are walking away and rejecting the truth and celebrating everything in the culture that is against God's word, Jesus is looking at us and saying, do you want to leave me too? And only you can answer that. I can't answer it for you. But it's a question Jesus is asking every single one of us, myself included. Now, Simon Peter gave an answer, and I can really relate to Simon Peter's answer because there was a time in my life back in 2005 after the fire, and my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer, and we had so many things going on in our life and in the church. It was in turmoil. It was, it was a mess. And God was working through that, don't get me wrong. But I'm saying from my perspective, it was a mess and I was just questioning everything. I was in a very dark place spiritually. Hey, and I was your pastor. Aren't you proud? <laughs> but I was being honest. And I was like, God, is this, is this all just fake? I mean, why is all this stuff happening? I don't understand. I'm trying to follow you. I thought I loved you. I thought I'm serving you, but all this bad stuff is happening. So maybe I've got it wrong. Maybe I just missed it all. It was really dark. And by the way, I did talk to the church leadership about this because I can't play games. <laughs> and they, were said, they said, Mark, you need to take a little break. <laughs> no, seriously, they were very kind. And they said, you take whatever time you need. We love you. And, uh, and again, that's a proper response to the church. So again, I'm saying for these people that are walking away from the faith, don't just condemn them and kick them while they're down. Pray for them. And, and do what you can to encourage. 
But anyway, because people in the church said, you take whatever time you need, you know, and we will we'll take care of things. And they did that. And I continued to participate. The point is God restored me through all of that. But I got to a really dark point, and here was what I literally in one moment of darkness, and, 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 and I couldn't even pray, but I was, I was just thinking about all this, and I'm like, God, are you really real or not? Or is this all just a fairy tale of fake? And as I thought it through and I struggled with it, honestly, it's like, you know, Jesus, if you're not who you say you are, and if you're not real, I got nothing. I got nothing. And I, and I meant that. I'm like, you know, it's like, there is no hope outside of you. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe. This is what Peter said to Jesus when he looked at him and said, do you want to leave me too? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And I think it gets down to that. You know, it's easy to walk away or easier to walk away from something that you just know about but you don't know. There's a lot of people that go to church and they know a lot about Jesus. Maybe you've grown up in church. You've gone to church your whole life and you know a lot about Jesus. But have you experienced him in your life? Have you experienced his Holy Spirit speaking deep in your spirit in that still small voice? Have you experienced his spirit guiding you? Because if you know him, I don't think you'll walk away. Oh, if you just know about him, but you don't know him, you'll walk away. But if you know him, I don't think you'll walk away. Because he's just too wonderful. Would you stand? Lord, um... Thank you for your word that reminds us, because we're forgetful people, and we get distracted with the things of the world. So thank you for reminding us and helping us to be on guard, to guard our heart against all the things that would pull us away from you. Thank you for your persistent love for us, and thank you for the honesty of your word. And thank you at times for even asking us honest questions, like you asked to your closest disciples, Jesus, you don't want to leave me too, do you? So, Lord, I pray, I pray that our answer would be like Peter's. Lord, where else are we going to go? You died for us. You rose again. You created us. You love us. We don't understand all your ways. But who else are we going to go to? What else in this whole entire universe offers what you offer? And so, Lord, we believe you are the truth. And we put our trust in your truth that we don't understand it. And help us to fill our hearts with your word, which is truth, and to learn to live that out. So today, Lord, if there's any here today who's never done this before, just help in this moment to open their heart and life and spirit and mind to you. And to invite your Holy Spirit to come into their heart and life. And Lord, give them that spiritual new birth. Help them to know you, not just know about you. And help us as we're on this journey to honor you with the way that we live. Thank you for loving us and for all that you've done for us. And help us to be faithful and to not fall away. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to sing a closing song. I appreciate everyone's attention today. And I know this has been a bit of a heavy message. But I'm just trusting that God's going to use it uh, in whatever way he sees fit. Uh, because again, th these are not my words today that I've spoken to you. I'm proclaiming to you the words of Christ. 
And so we just need to decide whether we believe him or not. And uh, I hope and pray that you'll believe and you'll trust.